Welcome to Pivot Talks with PC. My name is Pauline Caballero, and we're talking change. It isn't coming. It's here. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Pivot Talks. Um, I'm super excited for this episode, actually. My son, Noah, who many of you have heard on this podcast, spent the summer training with um, a gentleman by the name of Jim Thompson. And it was interesting because I generally am not taken back by hockey coaches or hockey trainers. I generally don't pay attention. But when Noah started coming home with the journal and with questions and with like with things that were causing him to pause and when he wouldn't go to the rink without his journal, I started to pay attention. So I'm super excited for this guest today. So Jim, thank you so much for joining me today. I'm excited, Paulina. Thank you. And uh, regarding Noah, a wonderful young man. Um, I was blessed to have him part of our group this summer at JT Prospects. And I always say this about a young man who comes, they they make your day and make the class better. And that's what your son did. And uh, you know that because he's a wonderful young guy. Mm, thanks. Yeah, I, he's... Definitely. He definitely keeps me on my toes. That's for sure. (laughs) But I did, um, you know, Jim, it was interesting because what I would love for you to share with the listeners is just a little bit about your background because uh, we were talking sort of pre-call here and it's, um, it's quite interesting. So maybe you can share a little bit about me. Yeah, I'll go through this fat. Like I'll take you through a kind of a quick journey. I, I grew up in Edmonton, Alberta. Um, I grew up in a trailer, youngest of 10 kids. Uh, my parents were from the Warriors. My dad was a sergeant four years in World War II. Um, he was going to play in the NHL for the Boston Bruins, but at 17, went to went to obviously overseas to Europe for four years. Um, and people have seen the Trailer Park Boys show. That's kind of how we grew up. That's the Trailer Park life. And you know, it, it made me who I am today, which I'm proud of, tough lifestyle. And then what happens is, as I play hockey, I'm a very good hockey player. I get into alcohol and drugs at 12 years old, get out of it at 14 on my own to tell my mom I want to quit high school, take correspondence, and I want to become a hockey player. So she allowed me to do that, Paulina. And at 15, turning 16, my uncle, who was a recovering alcoholic, lived in Markham, Ontario, invited me out to come skate with the hockey team out here in Ontario. And I was uh, selected to try out for the Toronto Marlboros of the OHL. And that was my saving grace because I got away from the chaos and moved with my uncle who kept obviously things in tight order. And, you know, three years of junior hockey got drafted to Washington Capitals, um, played 10 years pro on six NHL teams, many uh, minor league teams and be, you know, became a mentor, NHL uh, advisor, being, when I say advisor, helping young kids like your son, giving them the, the, the planting the seeds, I call it, to, you know, get an advantage to, I call it climbing the mountain. So there's all these kids trying to get to the top of the mountain to their dreams. And, you know, people like myself who have been there, played there and have gone through some adversity in their life. Um, that's what I do now. So that's my hockey story. Um, probably what I was saying to you earlier on my platform, the NHL gave me a platform to wasn't really my calling. I believe that, um, I do now is, uh, being 15 years sober out of drugs and alcohol. 
Um, I do many interventions, uh, life coaching, mentoring. So I travel around and uh, I was just actually out in Alberta not too long ago doing an intervention on a young lady. And um, that's really what my calling is. So I, uh, I'm here to help. I'm here to save lives, save families. You know, I always say this when a child is, you know, is, is struggling, the mother struggles with them um, differently with fathers, but it's a, it's a powerful thing to see how quickly a child can take their mother down with them when they're going through some serious things. So that being said, that's kind of what Jim Thompson's journey is right now. And the more people I can educate and help, um, that's, that's what I'm doing. Yeah, it's so interesting, you know, coming out of COVID-19 um, and all of the lockdowns, and I mean, some will say that we're still in it, um, but teach their own. One of the things that I feel like we haven't been talking about is, you know, what it has done for mental health and addiction. Is that something that you're seeing sort of, you know, throughout the past two years of um, the pandemic and lockdown? It's frightening. Um, you know, we, we go to addiction, we go to you know, um, sad things, you know, um, abuse in all different types, you know, uh, domestic, you know, um, suicides up, you know, I think three, three times and all these different things that I don't even want to talk about on your podcast because it's out there. People can do their due diligence on it, but COVID the lockdown has really affected everybody, but, the, you know, the young people, the, the kids that were locked up at home, um, that effect. And now we're back living and some of these kids don't want to come back out and live and they don't want to leave the home. They, they're comfortable in this new lifestyle that they found. And that's what parents are dealing with. You know, their kids have been programmed now to stay in the house, stay in the room, be on their tablets, um, you know, and especially if they're fighting addiction it's very hard to, to break, break them at that. So that's, yeah, it's been a, it's been a, a real busy three years and it's definitely poisoned. I call it our, our society. Yeah. And what are people doing? Cause it's so interesting. Cause I love what you're sharing here because I think sometimes we don't even recognize that our loved ones are trapped in some type of addiction and even just hiding out in your home. You know, what are some of the signs that that you can share with people that you, we should be looking for in our family members? Well, you know, what are they doing? What are, what are they doing at home? You know, many of the situations I'm dealing with are kids won't come out of the bedrooms. Like they come out to eat and they go right back and they're playing, you know, this gaming, you know, the gaming now is gone to another level. So they're in there with their headphones on gaming with people all over the world. Um, it's funny. It's not funny. Sorry. It's, it's alarming how many interventions I've done on gamers that smoke marijuana to get come down from the excitement. And then they're doing other drugs to get themselves back up. And then what happens is they're up all night and they sleep all day. Mm. Right. And they're waking up at two and three in the afternoon. And, you, you know, so some of the things that parents, you know, I always say this to a parent, look at who your kid is hanging out with. I got three kids. So I got two step kids. Who are they hanging out with? Where are they going? You know, what is their lifestyle? You know, obviously the drug signs are, you know, you know, their behavior, you know, if they're into cocaine or chemicals, if they, they don't have an appetite, they're not eating, they're losing weight, 
you know, the mood swings, you know, with marijuana and, you know, <laughs> listen, I was, a, I was a drug user, so I'm against drugs, you know, and I say this with respect to, you know, the medically, the drugs they need for terminally ill pe people, Paulina, I'm all for it. I'd rather somebody be on marijuana than opiates. I got addicted to opiates and it's an awful, awful addiction. So there's a lot of things that those drugs are used for. But when we got kids punching holes in their parents' walls because they're out of their marijuana and the mood swings and the depression. So, you know, the, the mood swings are big, you know, the, the, you know, the clear eyes, you know, are they looking at you? Are they avoiding you? Are they hiding out? You know, I mean, you know, your child. And if all of a sudden there's a personality change, there's something going on. And parents are so busy today. A lot of the issues I deal with is they've just kind of kept going with their lives. And they're just hoping that it's just a phase with their children. Well, it's not a phase. There's, there's something going on. And, and what happens sadly is once it gets to a certain point, it's really tough getting them back into reality. Mm -hmm. Right. So, you know, I hope I answered your question, but yeah, it's, it's, you got to pay attention to what their everyday life is. Like, what are they doing? What time they go in the bed? I'm dealing with some young people right now. They're up all night. Why are they up all night? What's their sleep pattern? No, no, no. Normal sleep pattern is we go to bed 10, 11 o'clock. Mm -hmm. Right. And we get up and we go to school. We go to work. We don't stay up all night and then wake up at three in the afternoon. That is not normal unless right. you're working the night shift. But, you know, they're, they're not working. So there's something going on there. Right. I love that. Like, I mean, I just pay attention. Right. Like what I'm really hearing from you is like pay attention and sort of wake up to what's happening in your household. And it's interesting. Yes. You now we struggle with marijuana is legal. And it's available in every corner in Ontario. Yes, like, it is. It's sad. It's sad. Yeah. And we're making it so casual. And I, I sort of, I, you know, I hear you with the medical requirements and the medical needs. And I understand, you know, um, I understand that there's other ways to use CBD. And, but it's interesting because the accessibility that we're making it is something that I'm not sure is doing a service to our youth. In fact, I believe no, it's not. A service. I was addicted to marijuana. Okay. Now, back when I was addicted to marijuana, we didn't have CBD and all these different oils and edibles and all this stuff. And I'll say this only about me. When I smoked dope, I was a dope. Okay. I was, couldn't function. I was depressed. I was tired all the time. I was binge eating and I was basically, you know, some people tell me, oh, it gets me going. I was, you know what? I was a 10 time millionaire. All the bright ideas when I was stoned, I'd have, oh, this is a great idea. This is, well, guess what? It's all, it's all things playing in your mind. So I lived that life smoking marijuana and the fact that it's legal now especially here in Ontario, it's frightening for me because I know what it did to me. And I, you know, people, you know, you know, I get into, I don't like to get into debates because everybody has an opinion. Mm -hmm. I can only speak for myself, Paulina, and what marijuana did to me as a young man. Remember, I started smoking when I was 12, picked it up again after, you know, through my later years. And it, it caused a lot of harm to me and my family mm -hmm. because I wasn't me. I was, you know, I was, I was this person that was drugged up. Yeah. I mean, take a person who, take a person who is like you and I today, right now, we haven't smoked marijuana 
And if I went out and smoked a bong or or a joint and came back and said, give me just give me 20, 25 minutes, you get a completely different person behind this podcast. Right. And I think that's what people realize, right? Like they don't realize the shift in like the the who is speaking. I mean, what had you, Jim, sort of sounds like you gave up drugs at a young age so that you can play hockey. But what had you get back into drugs after that? I grew up in an alcoholic and drug infested family. I had three bike, three brothers that were bikers, real bikers. Um, and my parents both drank every day of their life and they were alcoholics. So, you know, my mom's pattern was, and I, you know, she was the best mom she knew how to be. She never drove a car. She was from England. She had 10 kids. She'd get up, have her coffee, have her tea at 11 o'clock, and she'd crack her first Molson Canadian at 12 noon, drink all day long. And then at the nightcap, being in, you know, she was from England, she liked a drink called a hot toddy, which was rum, hot water, uh, sugar, and butter. And that would be her nightcap every day of her life until she died. Mm-hmm. So I got it. I got monkey see, monkey do. It's in your blood. It's, you know, it's, 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 you know, I was born with this and not all my brothers and sisters were like me. I was the one I caught the addiction bug. Um, and so I started when I was 12, I had a job at the hockey arena. I was buying bags of weed and I had a bootlegger and we were drinking a champagne called baby duck. So I'd have a group together. We'd drink the champagne and, and smoke dope. And at 14, you know, I was a very good hockey player, obviously, and got out of, I did my own intervention saying, okay, I'm going to quit everything and train for hockey. And it worked out, but yeah, I was on a crash course and, um, you know, uh, back to today, it's, it's no different because once kids get that feeling of, you know, the stoned feeling and, you know, there, nothing matters, there's no worries. Well, guess what? It's going to unravel their lives and unravel their families' lives and, you know, there's a three-headed monster now, Paulina. We got drinking and driving. Mm-hmm. We have marijuana and driving mm-hmm. and texting and driving. Mm-hmm. And I do a lot of work with the police and fire. And we call it the three-headed monster. That one of the three are taking families out, right? Killing and or whatever. And, you know, again, I don't want to get into the debate about whether marijuana should have been legalized or not. I'm against it. I I'd already said on your podcast, somebody who needs it for pain, I'd rather them s- see them do that than opiates because opiates are another monster. You ever see the, have you ever seen uh, Dope Sick? No. I encourage you to watch a true story on, on the pharma family in OxyContin. So OxyContin almost took my life. I was addicted to it for four years mm-hmm. and it killed over a half million people. And it's an amazing documentary story about opiates like it's the master opiate that's why they basically have now like I was getting it from three doctors when I was addicted to it so there was no connection of this doctor but now if I go into shoppers drug mart and get my prescription I can't go like they've got it monitored now but it's 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 a great I encourage everybody to watch that Uh, Michael Keaton plays the doctor and he does a fantastic job and it's called dope sick dope sick no, we'll definitely have to we'll, um, take that in the show notes for sure. I mean, I, I personally know people that have um, succumbed to opiate overdose. And I know that it is a very dangerous uh, street drug that is, I mean, you get it at the pharmacy, like you're saying, it's just a prescription. And it's something that's used for, um, for pain, right? 
It is. Yeah. So it's the number one, you know, outside, like there's the Oxy 80 is called the green monster. I was doing forties when I was getting them from the doctors and, and uh, I broke my back playing hockey and then my back gave out on me post career mm-hmm. and I couldn't get up and Percocet. And then this doctor um, said, try this. I've never heard of it before. It was magic. I was like, wow but you need to keep taking it because the detox from Oxycontin is just, it's, it's, I was eight days in bed. No, no word of exaggerating. I crawled to the bathroom. My bones were brittle. Like I coming off Oxycontin was the worst pain I had in a week, seven days in bed, the eighth day I finally could walk. And, you know, there's my three kids in the house wondering what's wrong with dad. But I, doctor said, you know, put your seatbelt on because this is going to be torture for you. And it was torture coming off that drug. And, um, you know, so once you get addicted, you got to keep taking it. And that's what, when you watch this movie, Dope Sick, you'll see how much crime was created because people needed it. Right. And that's the addiction of drugs. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's, um, I mean, this is a really powerful conversation, Jim, because I think so often we turn a blind eye, like, oh, no, not at my house. No, no, not my kids. Oh, no, not me. And I think Oxycontin and marijuana are just are two prime examples of how it can creep into your household. Oh, it, and we, you know, we, we talk about opiates now, like kids are getting their hands on Percocets, Tylenol threes, and all they need to do is try one and they go, Wow. So I don't have to smoke. I don't, you know, and, and they find a way to get it. Like, this is the frightening thing about what's going on in our society. And then the most frightening thing is the chemists, the drug people are making it in their basements. So, you know, they're, they're coming out with bags of oxy eighties and, and this is what people are dying from because they're, they look like they're from the pharmacy but they're street legal, right? They're not street legal. They're being made in basements and sold on the street. And that's when you read about overdose, overdose. So fentanyl, I'm sure you know this, a pure grain of fentanyl will kill a man my size instantly. And, you know, these drug lords or drug uh, chemists, we'll call it, you know, they're lacing marijuana with fentanyl dust. And so, you know, we talk about buying marijuana from the government. Well, the, the drug dealers are still got their business because if I get marijuana, when I smoke dope, I wanted the best dope. I want to get stoned. I didn't want to smoke. And then feel like this did nothing for me. That's the addiction of drugs. So these people are still in business because they're finding a way to make it more powerful. Right. right? And it all comes back, all becomes back to addiction, Paulina. Yeah. It's, it's fascinating. And it's interesting because you're saying that this has been the busiest three years for you ever in intervention. Yeah. And how does one, like if there's a family, if there's a family that's listening, um, that needs support, what's the best course of action that they should be taking? Like how, how does one even begin to get support? Um, What you need to do is you need to bring in support. Mm -hmm. So you, you know, you, you know, very common we go to the doctor we take our kid to therapist and all that if your kid's got an issue with addiction Mm -hmm. then you need a you need to get them into rehab you need to get them into a program and one of the problems is a lot of parents not my kid you know the 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 as you said earlier the the makeup of my kids going to rehab like i have a lot of trouble in interventions like 30 days yeah 
30 days saved this guy's life. I went to freaking NHL rehab when I was 40 years old. Mm-hmm. It saved my life. I learned more in rehab in one month than I did. Again, my parents were the best parents they knew how to be, but I got no parenting. Mm-hmm. My parents never told me they love me. Okay. I tell my kids every day I love them. It was that that era, right? But mm-hmm. I knew nothing about feelings. I knew nothing about love. I knew nothing about so your four weeks in rehab are family, relationships, addiction, and love. Like, you know, how to live a normal life. I got that at 40 years old. And it's funny, I go through my NHL career. And not, you know, I thought love was sex, drugs and rock and roll. That's got to be love. No, that's not love. There's no emotional attachment there. But I wasn't educated growing up mm-hmm. with with these staples of, you know, my parents just didn't parent. And they were in a different time in their lives and they did the best they could do. But this is a problem because when I work with kids, you can see that a lot of it happens from the parents. And the parents have to look in the mirror to say, maybe my kids like this because it's true. You were just saying that the parents need to look into themselves. Parents got to look in the mirror. You want to save your child's life. Mm-hmm. You know, nobody's perfect. And when I'm taking, you know, a mother of three to rehab because through COVID, you know, she may have had a glass of wine at dinner. Well, now she started drinking at 11 in the morning and she's falling down at dinner time. And I'm getting called from the husband saying, you know, my wife needs help. And it was normally the other way around. So everybody, you know, in this line, firing line, but, you know, I get back to what I was saying, you know, monkey see monkey do. If, if dad's drinking a beer every night at, at, at dinner, the wine is too, too, you know, like kids see, and if it's okay here, well, guess what? They get to their first party, right? Structure in the home is, is a big thing. And I'm not here to, you know, I'm not a marriage counselor. I'm not a, a family counselor. I just go by my street smarts of what I see. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the people I deal with, it starts in the home, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's, that's the hardest um, thing for all of us to look at is to start looking at ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. In the mirror. <laughs> if you're, your children, it's, it's, you know, you can't be too proud to say my kid's got a problem and I'm like, like you gotta, you gotta get off the, you know, the, not the embarrassment or the, you know, oh my gosh, it's, you know, I can't let people know this BS. When I went to rehab, mm-hmm. I, I was like, I went through an intervention. My ex-wife put me in an intervention with, with, you know, important people, just like you see on TV. Mm-hmm. And when I was two weeks up there, I'm like, oh my gosh, this saved my life. Right. Mm-hmm. And we got to get through the embarrassment of addiction or whatever the problem is because it's for the rest of our lives. Nobody is perfect. Mm-hmm. That's why they have these centers. That's why there's all these different medical treatments for people who get sick. Addiction is a sickness. You know, I got people say, ah, oh, you know, he can stop anytime he wants to. No, you can't. When you're addicted to something, it's an addiction. You need help to fix it. So back to your question parents who are struggling out there okay mm-hmm. what one okay you know i'm open to anybody you you can put my number out if somebody wants to give me a call for information or where to go and all that i'll help anybody i can but you know you, you got to find support you got to find help and if it's severe you're probably looking at you know a, a program and i've saved many many families by you know 
on making them understand. And, and when the, when the husband, the wife, the child comes back, they're like, Oh my gosh. And all the stories like, don't get me wrong. All, they don't all turn out great, but the majority who get the help, proper help, they save their families. Yeah. And I think it's important for, for people to be um, disciplined and not to give up in terms of getting help. You know, it's interesting when I was 16, my mom has schizophrenia. And when I was 16, she had a, uh, she had a major um, attack. And back then, you know, cause I'm a lot older now, but back then um, mental health wasn't a conversation. So for no. me, I couldn't get the help. And it was interesting because my mom would do things like follow me to school and you know, really, I mean, really hard things actually for someone who was in high school. And I was a competitive figure skater back then. And, you know, the, the ice, I always say the arena and the ice saved my life because if I didn't have that, who knows where I would have been. Yeah. Um, but I had to be ruthless with getting my mom support ruthless. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the thing is if there's something that, you know, in your gut, you know, is not going right with your family, with your child, with your son, with your daughter, with your husband, with your wife, with your partner, with your friend, like you need to be ruthless in getting them the support and you can't just sit down. No. And you have to, you don't give up, you know, you can't give up, but one of the big problems is unless everybody's on board to save that life, it -hmm. takes one enabler to keep the problem going. And that's a big problem. You know, mom, mom can't send her boy or daughter away for 30 days. Can't do it. We're going to do an in-house. It's great. There's lots of great programs. I'm not judging anybody, but at the end of the day, it's called tough love. It's called saving lives. And you have to go about, you know, what, what's the extent of the problem. And sometimes we have to go and get help. Cause it wasn't provided to us. And, you know, I don't, I don't question any parenting, but some, some households aren't given children, you know, the, the, the seeds that are planted to come out of this thing, healthy and safe and, and living a normal life, sadly. Right. Right. Yeah. So, no, yeah, I I, 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 go ahead. Sorry. Well, you go ahead. I just encourage people don't, don't turn a blind eye to it because it gets worse. I'm dealing, I'm you've got a situation right now. I'm dealing with a 32 year old young man who was enabled, 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 enabled too much money. And, and guess what? Try to try to get to the root of this thing. Now it's, 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 it's work. Like we're really working at this and we're making headway, but we're unraveling years of, of addiction and problems. And why, why do I got to get a job now? Why, why, why are you sending me a sturdy? Hello? Mm. problem (laughs) that's a problem right and i'm not again you know we know there's sometimes too much money too many problems very common right because let's face it we all love our children okay and we all want to do the best and we want to make them feel good and well if we overdo it year after year after year if we're able to now it's hard to undeal unravel that silver spoon i call it mentality right Mm -hmm. Well, go get a job. Why? It's much funner just sitting in my room and getting stoned and playing games. Why do I have to? Well, when you come, become 32, 33 years old, you know, so again, it's just, it's, it's a problem. Yeah. It's, I mean, you're really pointing to the importance of giving your children purpose 
and a purpose needs to happen at you know quite a young age. I mean, it's one of the things I do. I mean, listen, I could go, I could go on and on about uh, minor hockey specifically in Ontario, but one of the things that I do love about it is that it creates that schedule and that routine, and it creates a purpose. Um, you know, outside of school and outside of friends, it just creates a regular discipline and a purpose. And I think it's so important for, uh, for us all to have it. You know, whether you're a, a young child who's just getting started or an adult. So, I mean, I, you know, Jim, I really appreciate you sharing this story. I think it's so powerful. I think especially right now, I know, there, I know that there are people listening that um, are dealing with addiction and probably are wondering how did this even happen? Yeah. Well, well, you were stuck in your home for three years and how about we help and get you some support? So for anyone listening, that's looking for additional support. um, I'm quite passionate about this topic actually. And if you need anything, you can reach out and I don't have any answers, but I'm happy to put you in touch with Jim. I'm happy to put you in touch with Cam H in which I have a really strong relationship with given my um, family background. But I do want you all to know that um, you aren't alone. And Nick will put some stuff in our show notes for us here. And, you know, I, I invite you to be ruthless in getting the support that you need. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I, and I, uh, you know, people who are looking for rehab centers, you mentioned CAM, it's a wonderful program, program I went to and, and many people I take is Newgate 180 in Merrickville, Ontario. Mm-hmm. It's many lives and there's lots of good ones, but you know, when you mention one, I'm going to mention one and you know, I, I'm probably going up there too much, but it's a good thing because the success rate is wonderful. So again, it's Newgate 180 and uh, Peter up there and Brian, they're wonderful people that save lives. I love it. Well, Jim, thank you so much for everything. Thank you for everything that you've done for my son and for my family and you know and thank you for who you are in the hockey community and thank you for who you are for all these individuals that you're supporting with and thank you for spending the time here with us today paulina i appreciate it i i do appreciate you allowing noah to work with me because as i said earlier um he brings joy to our world he's a wonderful young man and uh his future is bright oh great thank you jim thanks paulina